Hi, I'm Andy Psarianos. Hi, I'm Robin Potter. Hi, I'm Adam Gifford. This is the School of School podcast. Are you an early years teacher struggling with lack of support for lesson planning? Foundations can help. Foundations is the new reception program from Maths No Problem. It's a complete reception package with workbook journals, picture books and online teacher guides all in one place. Visit mathsnoproblem.com today to learn more. All right, everyone. Thanks for coming back to the School of School podcast. Uh, once again, really lucky. Cat Lord Levens with us. Cat, say hi. Hi, Andy. Hi, guys. Uh, so, Cat Lord Levens, I I'm the Chief Success Officer at Bentley Systems, an infrastructure company. Well, Cat, thanks for joining us once again. We're so lucky to have you. And today, we're talking something about diversity of thought. I don't even know what that means. So tell us, Kat, what does that mean? What does it mean to you? The world that we're living in right now, we we hear a lot about diversity and inclusion and and the importance of ensuring that we have um, everyone included in what we're doing. Um, And it's it's, it's a wonderful wonderful set of motions that are happening, particularly in the corporate world, but I think it's bleeding out across all of the others. and, you know, I, I've been working in this field for quite a bit with, with my company, and my fear is always about pendulum swings, you know, mm. flavor of the month and the impact of that. And so I'm trying to find the center ground on how we can. So what's the problem that we're seeking to solve, which is ensure that we are open and, and, and honest with everyone that is either applying for jobs or approaching us in any way. And so what's the center ground on it? And one of the things I wanted to chat with you about, Andy, was the unconscious bias. So a lot of people that are teaching diversity are talking a lot about people's unconscious bias and to some degree making them feel um, guilty or ashamed for their unconscious bias. Mm. Um, And so our unconscious bias is made up of our our essential DNA. It comes from where we come from, what we experienced as a child. It is who we are. And yes, the world changes and we learn more things and we get educated as we move along. And we we should, we don't, our unconscious bias is uh, stale dated. It's, It's old, it's not relevant in today's world, but it's still part of who we are. And so, you know, I read this guy, this book, uh, Daniel Kaufman's book, Thinking, Thinking uh, uh, Fast and Slow, and it really resonated with me on unconscious bias. Instead of us um, making fee- people feel bad about their unconscious bias, because I'll tell you the, the problem that I see about that, particularly in the corporate world, but also true for, for children. When you start to have people second guess their unconscious bias for everything and and sort of beat themselves up for having it, we're actually going against their instinct. And we hire or we, we, people leverage their instinct, your blink reaction carries you through and makes you actually Mm. successful at so many things that you do. Now, what Kaufman talks about a lot is he talks about two things, one called system one 
and system two. So system one is your blink reaction. It is that unconscious bias that you get. Something that you you impacted you as a child, you see it coming along the road, you see it, you, know, you smell something. There's an impact that's instantly your blink reaction. Now with education, you you learn how to, you learn what's real. So you learn how to adapt to a situation, whether it's people, you know, I mean, I grew up in Ireland. I grew up in, in Catholic Ireland and you hear stories about Protestant, the, the North of Ireland being Protestant. Mm -hmm. And so there's lots of this. So an unconscious bias, you know, particularly as a kid was, you know, if you hear or see a Protestant person, well, what does that mean to you? Now, System two is what we call the educated, the educated thought process. So education comes along. I know that we're all the same. There is no, I'm, I'm a grown adult. I understand all the religions. I understand what happened in the world. I've studied history, etc. So I, I, I'm, I'm knowledgeable. So our job is to not tell people that their unconscious bias is, is, should be um, suppressed inside of their brain. But what we want to do is speed up the time between system one and system two. So essentially get that, that educated knowledge faster into your, into your mind. So your reaction is not indicative of your unconscious bias. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense to me, but it's a really complicated topic. And yeah. you know, this is a, like a, <laughs> it's like regular, regular point of discussion around the dinner table at our house, but that's, that's yeah. my family. Um, yeah. you know, and there's so many different manifestations of this, right. But you know, it, it, it's interesting cause I have a lot of discussions with, uh, my youngest daughter Artemis, uh, about this kind of stuff, you know, and her view of me is like, dad, you know, like you're the way you see the world is you know, you don't live in the same universe as my generation is basically how she sees it, right? Well, she's, yeah. you know, she's 14. So yeah. that's kind of, you know, that's what most 14-year-olds think of their parents. But, but you know, I remember thinking that of my parents. Um, but anyway, I think you touched on a really interesting point here. And, there's, and, and I'm even going to tie it to mathematics a little bit. So your brain, right, is evolved in a certain way. Many of the motivations I expect, and I'm by no stretch of the imagination an expert of this, have to do with survival, right? That's kind of what, you know, drives most of the ways that the brain has evolved. So your brain is this ultra generalization machine, right? It recognizes patterns and it, and it sees the pattern and then it remembers that pattern and then that pattern becomes part of your understanding of the universe, right? And then... As you fire up those pathways in your neurons over and over again, they, get, they become more and more hardwired, right? And the more times you experience this pattern, the more obvious and prevalent it becomes in your mind, right? And that's basically how we learn mathematics. Mathematics is just a bunch of generalized concepts that we re-fire in our brains all the time, and it becomes part of our understanding of the world right? The thing is, is the same is true for every bias. Mathematics is really just a bias, right? It's just a way of looking yeah. at the world. Yeah. It's one way of interpreting the universe. It's not the only way, you know, so that I know this is getting kind of into a philosophical discussion, but, but now, so you've got, so if you look at, okay, well, what if it's like mathematics and what if all your bias are like your mathematics of understanding this particular way of things? It's very difficult to deconstruct that 
whether you're aware of it or, or not, like, you know, you don't think of, you don't think of like mathematics in that sense or language, for example, language structures or whatever, but they're all the same thing. They're all super generalizations of lots of different concepts put together, right? Our brains have been developed over God knows how long, a very long time to become super good at generalizing things, to make quick decisions that are life-changing decisions all the time. Part of that is what you're calling a bias. Now, for us to deny that it exists or to say that we can just all of a sudden change our point of view on how the world should work or who should have what rights or whatever the case may be, the difference between fairness and equality, which are almost impossible to define, right? All these ultra-complex philosophical concepts that our brain is already hardwired to, to deal with in a particular way. We're saying deconstruct all that and do it another way. Yeah, that's quite a challenge. Okay, I don't know if that made any sense to anybody. I'm not even sure it made any sense to me, but you know, well, that's yeah. <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of a big it's a big thing, right? A, I don't know that there's any answer for that question. I'm just gonna go back to the very basics when you were talking about Artemis and your conversations with her, because I can relate on that level and uh, with my two teenagers and I and I was thinking about how you you know, you talked about language as well and how you know, we use our language. And nowadays, I also, Andy, um, get a lot of flack from my kids who say I'm, I am so out of the loop and that, you know, things that I say, perhaps because of my own upbringing and my own bias, uh, they, they call me on it all the time. Mom, you can't say that, you know, and I'm thinking, what did I say now? You know, and so they're they're yeah. they're educating me as well, though that uh, they're they are bringing me up to speed, and uh, I do appreciate it. But there's no question, Kat, that we we these things have been formed since we are little. Yeah, you know, it's very arrogant and almost kind of oversimplifying to say that you can't say that anymore because the world has changed, because. You know, you brought up the Catholic Protestant thing, right? That immediately linked me to my dad being Greek, living in, on a small Greek island, well, a relatively large Greek island, but large island for Greece, right next to Turkey, and his idea of Greeks and Turks, right? Yeah. Now, you got to remember, as long as there's been Greeks and Turks, there's been Greeks and Turks fighting. Yeah. And they've been killing each other as long as there's been a thing called the Greek and a thing called the Turk. Now, of course, he's going to have all kinds of bias. His relatives have been killed by so-called what yeah. he calls Turks, right? So he's seen them get killed, right? Of course, he's going to have a bias, right? Like his parents had a bias. His parents' parents had a bias. His place that where he lived was occupied by Turks many times in history, right? You can't undo that. You can't just say to my dad, no, now that's not true anymore. You have to forget. Like, I mean, of course, on some level, my dad visited Turkey on holiday and stuff. Like, I mean, he doesn't have this yeah. kind of prehistoric no. view of Turks, but there is always going to be a bias there, right? Yeah. You know, my dad Absolutely. would say stuff that, that if my kids heard him say that, they'd think, oh my God, my grandfather is a horrible racist person, right? But he's not, you know? No, but the problem is though, Andy, that... I think what we have to do is acknowledge that people have an unconscious bias and how do we 
make sure that they have the right education to get to that second level, get to the get to the action part, which is the educated part yeah, of your brain with, kicking without in necessarily and, and don't using deny. Without using shame yeah. and guilt to do it, right? Well, and that because that's what that's what's happening to some degree. I mean, I've heard it. I, I hear a third party through other people that uh, that that feel the impact of the changes that are going on. Not because they don't agree with the changes, but they feel like they are suddenly, you know, the bad person, and and they don't want to be. And so it's no look. Recognize who you are and figure out how to make sure that your actions mirror the way you know, the, the way we're, we're fair individuals, but don't deny that unconscious bias. Can, can I jump in? Can I just jump in for something here? Because my brain is actually hurting. I'm trying to think so hard about... <laughs> we're, we're ta- some of what we're talking about is is that I feel like the, the ship's kind of sailed for us now. So so we just accept, you know, the, the way that I've grown up, Andy, Kate, yourself, Rob, Robin, all of us, we, we're going to have this bias for, for, from a whole host of influences that have happened. And now we've got to live with it, control it, mm. try to manage it yeah. where yeah. needed, all of those sorts of things. Yeah. But the ship sailed. So I'm thinking of um, there's something else in maths. I call it subitizing, subitizing. But anyway, basically what it is, it's a very, very early concept of seeing a number of, of items without counting it. But it's almost like now I can't really change what I see. So when I, if someone throws down some counters, as much as I'd love to see a group of five without counting them and just see it, unfortunately I see sort of two and three because that's all my brain can sort of cope with. So so it's these early, and, and I often think about it like um, a, a, a David Attenborough documentary where the first sort of, when the chick first hatches, the first thing they see is always going to be mum. <laughs> doesn't matter if it's an Alsatian, you know, it's a, the, the, oh, it's mum. So, so I suppose the point that I'm getting at is, is that we can understand it for us as adults and we can try to manage it because we know that some of our biases may have a really negative impact on some yeah. people. Some of them would be yeah. fantastic, yeah. all those sorts of things. What's the implication for someone that's coming to school at five years old? Now, initially, and I will let you answer, I'm not trying to ask a question so I can answer it, but the only thing that I can come up with is, is, is that importance of inclusivity, of, of recognising the richness of so many different things that the world offers us to make sure that that... Is there anything more than we can do? Because this is when it's being shaped, right? For, for us, we're, we're, we're kind of done, are we? Because <laughs> we just manage it now as opposed to... Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but, but, but am I speaking the truth here? Is it yeah. like... Because I'm, I'm thinking of the implications of a, of a three-year-old coming into school. What, what, what does this mean for us? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, personally, the because I think there's some things that we're doing at adult levels that are should be doing at adult levels that we could bring down. I think that... True diversity to me is, and when I go back to diversity of thought that we started off even talking about, um, diversity of thought is ensuring that you surround yourself with people who do not think the same way that you do, and it keeps you honest. Uh, from a company perspective, if you hire in this way, you actually can see around corners because you, you when you get enough um, viewpoints on something, you can see everything. And I think that's what we need to do. We need to be comfortable with that when our kids bring home people that are very different from them when they are exposed to, and I mean the way they think, the way they act, the way they do. I think surrounding yourself with people who who think exactly the same way that you do is when we are building problems. I think it's very much around ensure that you are, it might be uncomfortable at times, but ensure that you have people who are different thinkers, challenge you, and, you know, 
you, you'll find that you get people that look different than you look by naturally. And it's not almost, you know, you're not driving it towards trying to get people that look different from you. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I, I'm trying to, again, just think of what are those important aspects. And I, and I think what I'm picking up, and I, and I hope I'm right in this, is that just that openness and celebration. Is that, and, and also the importance of, and, and I know, again, I've probably been guilty of this as a teacher, where I'm trying to steer a conversation or steer something in a certain way. So it might be in the middle of a lesson and you say, oh, Mr. Gifford, I can do it this way. Da, 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 and it's not the one that I was after. You know, that wasn't the one cat that I wanted to tell the whole class. So I'm kind of, actually, cat, that's 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 really good. And the, the yeah. children know when I say that's really good. That means, no, he's trying to stop here from talking because someone else has got the answer that he wants. I suppose it's those traps that yeah. we fall into yeah. that, that must ensure that, I don't know, that, that validation of, of difference and those yeah. things that we just need to be mindful of. I mean, it, you'd like to think that that's just standard. Yeah. But I guess it, it, we just need to be very mindful but it's, of that. But, the, but yeah. it, it, it can, the problem is, is that the, there's, there's so many, like none of this happens in isolation, right? There's all, a whole bunch of other human constructs and emotions to get wrapped up into things like diversity that make it so much more complicated than it is. Like it, it, it's, it's great to say, you know, let's teach everyone to see everyone as individuals and then to celebrate their differences. And, all, you know, and those are great things to say and great things to believe and certainly things that we should aspire towards. But then you get into, let's say, the hiring process, for example, right? Now, all of a sudden, it gets complex because, you know, there's on the one hand, there's pressure to have a diverse workforce. But if you're not getting diverse candidates then you have to skew things to have a diverse workforce. And that's a discrimination on its own, right? So it kind of at that stage starts flipping on its yeah. head. And then you're faced with, well, should I hire this person because they fall in this diversity group, even though they're not as good as this other person who's too similar to everybody else that works here? Is that the right thing to do? And where does my responsibility lie? Because at the end of the day, I got to answer to my stakeholders, yeah. which are shareholders or whatever, right? Yeah. And that's one, you know, construct. And then this other construct of social justice is leading me to make the wrong decision for that. Now I'm stuck. What do I do, right? And that's where it gets complicated. And I think that's, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. But Kat, come on, you have all the answers. Tell us what the answer is. Yeah. No. <laughs> that's why you're here. Look, I, I yeah, no, I, <laughs> I think, and, and to the, the point around the hiring, I believe we should have a diverse hiring pool. If you're not getting the candidates um, that are diverse, you need to ask yourself the question, why? What is the, what, what are you putting out as a company? Um, are, you, are you appealing to everyone? Are you reaching out? It's not that they're not showing up at your door. But again, I'm going to come back to the fact that I believe that if you, if you blindfolded me and you disguised voices and I searched for diversity of thought in my hiring process, I will take that blindfold off and I will have an incredibly diverse set of people around the table, be it men, women, different colors, different backgrounds, etc. You will, f but don't do it for the quota system. Do it for, you. everything should be done for the problems that they're solving, but do it with the diversity in mind. They might come and open up your mind to the fact that they'll approach problems 
from a very different angle than you approach it from. And it, it might look different. All right. There's your homework, everyone. Do what Kat says, because she's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, thanks Thank so you, much. Kat. Thank you, guys. Thank you for joining us on the School 